Lord Jesus, that is our prayer. We just want to be with you, Lord. Right now, Lord, we live by faith. We have your Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside. But one day we're going to see you face to face. God, I pray for every single person in this sanctuary and everyone listening online that you'll turn their hearts and that will be their greatest desire is to see you, Lord Jesus, in all your glory, all your splendor, all your majesty. Yes. Amen. Praise the Lord from the lips of babes. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You're so good to us. Lord, as we look at the word this morning, orient our hearts towards you in your soon return. For it's in the awesome, powerful, eternal, great, magnificent name that we pray your name, Lord Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're able, you may have a seat. Great to see everyone this morning. Everybody doing good? Good, good, good deal. Just want to start off, first off, thanking everyone who came out and supported my family last night with uh, the sending off of my daughter and getting married. Uh, so thank you all very much. Love you. Appreciate you. I love Calvary Chapel, Irmo. Not just because I'm the pastor, but just because there's awesome people in this church. People that love each other, care for each other. And I'm very thankful for you guys. So let's, uh, let's get into the word this morning. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. So I said, I, I said a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at what is called the Olivet Discourse. So Jesus is on a hillside opposite of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives, and he's teaching his disciples about the last days. About uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the events that will be taking place in the world, the apostasy, the false teachers, the, the, the cataclysmic events. And then last Sunday, we looked at the fact that his return is imminent, meaning we are not waiting on nothing to happen. He is going to split that eastern sky at the rapture, and he is going to take his bride home. So I, I, I love how Jesus and God's word, written 2,000 years ago, is laid out in such a beautiful manner. Because now, after he's taught about those two subjects on the Olivet Discourse, he's going to teach you and I this morning how to be ready. How to be ready for the return of Jesus. And friends... People listening online, he is coming again. He is coming again. He will be faithful. Just as he was faithful to come at his first advent and die on the cross for our sins and rise from the grave, so he will come again and split that eastern sky. And he's coming again, not for salvation. Uh, he, he established our salvation at the cross, but to, to bring it to consummation, to give us new bodies, to take us to be with him in heaven, and to wrap up this age and to annihilate sin. So the title of my message is How to Be Ready for the Return of Christ. Matthew chapter 25 is, I'm going to break it down for you, give you a picture in your mind. Matthew chapter 25 is three parables with three simple truths on how to be ready for his return. 
You guys ready to go through it? And I'm going to do something I haven't done in a very long time. I'm going to make it through an entire chapter this morning. Okay? But it's, they, all, they all fit tightly together. You, they, just, they, they, they gel together in your mind. So when I'm talking about being ready for the return of Christ, you've got to look at all three of these parables because they, they fit like a glove and they're perfect. So let's take a look at it. Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So, in this parable here, we have ten virgins representing people living in the last days. Likely people in and, and around the church. Because, you know, today we live in a, we live in a Christianized culture. I, I very rarely meet someone at the mall or at the gas station or going about life that doesn't know about Jesus or doesn't know about God or doesn't know about the Bible. A lot of people know about who Jesus is. But the real question is, do they know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Are they born again, as Jesus said in John chapter 3? Are they born again? A lot of people know about the Lord. But the question in being ready for the return of Christ is make sure that you are born again. Make sure that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, um, it's, the most, it's the most important thing, and that's what he's going into here with the parable of the, um, the ten virgins. Look at verse 2. Let's, let's, let's look at this. Five of them were foolish, and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them... And there's a comma there, so I'm going to stop there. Uh, I'm sorry, that's verse, actually verse 2 and verse 3. The end of verse 3, there's a comma there. The lamps, this being talked about here, the lamps with the oil are symbols of the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's a, a picture in the scripture of the Holy Spirit and being born again. The Holy Spirit is like a flame inside of you and me. We can't see it, but he's there. And, and, and he's like a flame. The Spirit gives us uh, new life in Christ. He burns up the dross of sin, okay? Once you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, once you become born again, the Holy Spirit begins the process of sanctification where the Spirit does the work, okay? And he starts cutting away the flesh and giving us a heart towards uh, repentance. The Spirit teaches us God's word and the Holy Spirit always leads us to Jesus. One of the signs of a Holy Spirit-filled life is, is the Spirit inside of you, the Holy Spirit, is using you to point other people to Christ, okay? One of the signs of a Spirit-filled church um, is that the church magnifies Jesus. Because, friends, the Holy Spirit points people to Jesus okay so that's that's what's being that's what's being said here the foolish in this parable are not born again they know and they've heard about Jesus but they've never invited him into their heart through repentance and faith you see it's not just enough to know about Jesus you have to know him as your Lord and your Savior, and the Holy Spirit has to be dwelling on the inside. That's the picture here of this oil 
and the lamps in this parable. Look at verse 4. He says, but the prudent, some of your translations say wise, took oil and flask along with their lamps. So the wise virgins are born again Christians, okay? The Spirit's flame is burning brightly on the inside. The Spirit's flame is inside of us and is causing us to cry out. And it says, Lord, I need more of you. I need to be in church. I need to be in fellowship. I need your Holy Spirit. That's the work of the Holy Spirit and the life of the believer. And that's the Holy Spirit's work in these, uh, the, the wise virgins. Verse 5. Verse 5, he says, Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. Verse 6. But at midnight there was a shout. Behold, the bridegroom came out to meet. So back there in verse 5, he notice he says, the bridegroom was delaying. So evidently, there's going to be a long period of time uh, before Christ returns from when he spoke these words. But notice verse 6. Verse 6 says, midnight, there was a shout. Now, I don't know about you, but if you come into my house at midnight and you shout, you're going to scare a lot of people, okay? You're going to startle us. Ah, what's going on? Because at midnight, everything's quiet and peaceable in the house. And for someone to come in and shout, it, it, it startles people, okay? So what he's saying here in verse 6 is that uh, Jesus' return will be sudden, it will be unexpected, and it will be without warning. You know, we saw, and we saw two weeks ago that many will not be ready. Many will not be ready for the return of Christ. They'll, they'll be lazy. They'll be lethargic. They, 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 they uh, won't take the claims of Christ serious. And unfortunately, many will come. And, and Christ's return is going to catch this world off guard. I think when Christ returns, they're going to they're have already pushed the Bible out of the picture. It's going to be a, a, a very uh, uh, lukewarm world. It's going to be a world that's far from the Lord. But the faithful will stay true to God, and they will stay true to his word. Why? Not because of themselves, not because they're smart, but because the Holy Spirit is dwelling on the inside, and the Holy Spirit is keeping them in their faithfulness to Christ. Let's continue, verse 7. Verse 7, then all those virgins, okay, so the, um, the, the shout in verse 6, come out to meet him, and then verse 7, yes. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps when the bridegroom shows up. So when, he, when Christ returns, people will panic. People will, will, will try to get ready. They'll be like, oh, man, this is, this is bad news. This is not good to people that aren't ready. And they, they will be looking to how can they get ready. But look at verse 8, the very next verse. The foolish said to the prudent, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, that's the wise, born-again believers, no, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealer and buy some for yourselves. Friends, we need to understand our salvation, we do not receive it from people. We, 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 we don't have the ability to give people salvation. We don't have the ability to save people. All we can tell people is to point them to 
Christ. Tell them to turn from their sin, put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, receive him as their Lord and Savior. But we can't do it. Verse 10, and while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast. And look at the end of verse 10. And the door was shut. In the Greek language there, it's, it's, it was shut. It was final. There, there was no opening the door. The bridegroom, Jesus, <coughs> comes and the foolish virgins are shut out of the wedding party and entering into heaven. Why? All because they were not ready. They were not ready. Again, the title of the message is how to be ready for his return. They were not ready. They did not take, here's ways people do, are not ready. Um, they do not take the word of God serious. When the word of God says repent of your sin, it means repent of your sins. When the Bible says put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, it means put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful relationship with God, but in our fallen sinful nature, we, we fight against it. When all we need to do is yield and say, Lord, come into my life, rescue me, save me. They do not take the word of God serious. They do not take Jesus serious, and they are the ultimate fools. Friends and family, we're talking about eternity. Please don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. Don't be like these uh, foolish virgins that Jesus has given us, given us an illustration here. Uh, verse, verse 11. Later, the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Does that sound familiar? It says, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we cast out many demons? And Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Verse 13, be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. So that is parable number one of Matthew chapter 25. And the principle, the point of the first parable in Matthew chapter 25 is this. Make it simple. Make sure you are born again. Make sure that you are born again. Don't be foolish. Make sure you have invited Christ Jesus into your life. Make sure you have repented of your sins and you are trusting in Jesus for salvation. Okay, it's, it's so important, man. So important. If you have any doubts, if you have any doubts, take inventory of your faith. Take, take inventory of your faith. Do a self-examination. That's what the scripture tells us. The scripture tells us that not every single day, not every single week or every single month, but from time to time, we need to take personal inventory and we need to examine our hearts. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, look at what he says here. Second Corinthians 13, 5. What's the first word there? Examine. Second word, yourselves. Paul says that the, the epistles, the word that the scripture tells us, we are to examine ourselves to, set, to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. 
Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. We should examine ourselves and make sure that we're in the faith. Friends, there's nothing more important than your eternal salvation. Make sure you are right with God according to the word of God. Amen? So that's parable number one in Matthew 25. Let's look at the second parable. The second parable starts in verse 14. This is called the parable of the talents. Parable of talents, verse 14. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. One of the greatest mistakes in life is to think that everything that you own belongs to you, okay? My house, my money, my car, my stuff. You ever said that? I have in my life. There's been times where I've felt that way. But friends, that is not how Christians think. We, do not, we are not called to think that way. We're not called to believe that. We need to understand that everything that we have in this life is a gift from God. We are just stewards. All of our money, our home, our wealth, our cars, everything we have is just on loan from the Lord. Because guess what? You can't take nothing into eternity, okay? So you just, you just have it for maybe... 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years or whatever. But we need to understand it's on loan from God. Look at verse 15. Verse 14, notice he said, entrusted his possessions. That's very important in understanding this parable. Verse 14, he says, entrusted his possessions to them. Now look at verse 15. To the one, he gave five talents to another two and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Now, what's the question when we read this verse right here the question is what is a talent what is a talent because when I first read that talent I'm like, oh man that's my my abilities that, that's the things that I'm able to do in this life but that's actually not what Jesus is talking about here according to Dr. William Barclay uh, a talent in the first century was a weight or value in copper gold or silver and in the material possessions that you had in this life. So basically it's your stuff, okay? David Gusick says this, in the application of this parable that we're fixing to study, the talents are this, they are life resources, our time, our money, and our ability. So basically, Pastor David's interpretation of this is this is our stuff, our stuff that we own from our car to our finances to home to everything that we have in this life. So that's what talents are. Let's continue, verse 16 and 17. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. Friends, what you need to understand about this part right here is this is what God wants you and I to do with our talents with our resources, with our material possessions. God wants you to use them to build his kingdom. Everything that he's given us, all of our resources, he wants us to use our stuff to honor and glorify the Lord. Remember back at verse 14, I said it's very important that you see possessions. We, we saw that back in verse 14. That's... Um, that's saying that all of our stuff, our possessions, they come from the Lord. It's God who gave them to us, 
Verse 18. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So what his master gave him, instead of multiplying it, he goes out in the backyard, digs a hole, and drops his talent, drops his resource in the ground, and buries them over. This person here that Jesus is talking about in verse 18 does not see their possessions or wealth as a gift from God. They see their stuff as theirs. And they see their stuff as theirs, and they see it as um, stuff that they get to keep for themselves. They do not give or use their resources to advance God's kingdom, okay? So we need to use our resources. We need to use everything we have for the glory and honor of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, all for his glory, but this person doesn't. Verse 19, now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you have entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. So, man, out of boy, man. He doubled it. He doubled what the Lord gave him. And uh, verse 21, verse 21 through 23, uh, we, it says, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master, verse 22. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, there it is again. It's in verse 21 and verse 23. Well done, good and faithful slave. Or some translations say servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And friends, I just want to stop right there. This is why we as Christians give. This is why we as Christians serve. This is why we as Christians witness. The, the aim of the Christian life is at the very end. It's seeing our Savior face to face. And hearing him say those words that he says here in verse 21 and verse 23, which is, well done, thy good and faithful servant. That's our goal. That's our heart. You know, we, we understand we will not be here forever. Now, we make the most of life. We work hard. We raise families. We go to school. We have careers. And we do the things that it takes to... To, to, to live our lives, but throughout that entire period, whether God gives you 50 years or 100 years, we live with an eternal perspective. We keep everything in submission to Christ, knowing that one day that we'll see him face to face and hear those beautiful words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Look at verse 24 and 25. He says, and the one also who had received the one talent, so this is the one that buried, came back to him and says, Master, I know you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. So basically here, this unfaithful servant does nothing with his faith. 
He does nothing with his Christian faith. There's no work. There's no serving. There's no, there, there's no witness. Uh, he or she is oblivious. In other words, they, they don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Use your life. Use your resources. Use your gifts to honor and glorify God. Use it. Use your gifts as a witness for Christ. That is the most important thing that we can do in this life is bring honor and glory to Christ Jesus. But unfortunately, and I've been there in seasons of my life, we're quiet about our faith. We don't share our faith. We don't witness. We, we don't um, try to share the good news. And sometimes that's, that's a rut that we fall into and we need to come out of that rut. And we need to be witnesses. We need to use our gifts. We need to honor and glorify God. Friends, we have, we have the words of eternal life. We have the words of eternal life. We have the message in our hands, the word of God, that separates people's eternal destination from eternity in heaven to eternity in hell. We have their ticket. We have the ticket for them to punch so that they can spend eternity in heaven. And we, if we must, must take our faith serious and reach out to the lost, reach out to those around us. I want to give you a quote from, how many of you guys ever heard of uh, Penn Jillette? Anybody heard of Penn Jillette? He's a well-known atheist. He's a well-known atheist. He's active in atheist, spreading atheism around the world. I want to give you a quote by Penn Jillette. Penn Jillette says this, and I, I think, he, I, if I remember correctly, he said this in, a, in an interview with Ray Comfort, or I, or I heard it on the Living Waters podcast. But Penn Jillette says this, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it is not really worth telling them this because it would make it sociably awkward, how much do you have to hate someone to not proselytize? How much do you have to... Um, hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that. I mean, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I would tackle you. And this is more important than that. We have the words of eternal life. We have the message of salvation. Friends and family, let's not be ashamed of the gospel, okay? It brings eternal life. It brings forgiveness of sin. It, 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 through it, through this message, it clothes people in the righteousness of Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We share the gospel with people, not, not because we're trying to put a wet blanket on their life. We share the gospel with people because we want people to experience freedom and joy and peace with God and eternity in heaven. We want them to experience the absolute greatest love in all the universe. And that love is the love that God displayed to us through the cross. Romans chapter five, verse eight says, God demonstrates his own love for us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. One, I, do, I do a lot of funerals. And I always, close my, I always close my messages with um, 
hey guys, I'll, I'll tell people that I, I don't know the families. I'll be like, what comes to your mind when you uh, hear about God's love, the love of God? What, what, what picture do you have in your mind? Because everybody has, when you hear the love of God, that can be a very generic statement. You know, if you don't know what the word of God says, well, God loves me, you know, just this emotional feeling from God to me. And I'm like, if you want a picture in your mind of the love of God, look at the cross. Look to the cross. That is the ultimate display of love. And that is the love that we point this world to. We point them to the love of Jesus. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love. While we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, y'all know the verse, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And a lot of times I'll share with them and I'll share with you. Mom and dads can relate. Whenever uh, your kids say, Mommy, Daddy, how much do you love me? What does mom and dad do? We stretch out our arms and we say, I love you this much. And our kids come running into our arms and we embrace them. And I tell them and I tell you, God loves you that much. He did the same thing as that parent. He stretched out his arms on a cross and said, I love you this much. I love you this much. Run to the cross. Don't run from Jesus. Run to Jesus. Because that's how amazing he is. Verse 26. And we tell the world about that. But his master answered and said to him, here Jesus diagnoses the, the, um, the unfaithful servant. But his master answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Jesus here in this verse, he diagnoses the real issue with the unfaithful servant. What is the two words he uses? Look at your translation. The NASB uses the words uh, wicked and lazy. That word wicked, it means to love sin more than you love God. And that's what this unfaithful servant, he loves, or she or he, they, they love sin more than they love God. They choose the darkness of sin over the righteousness of Christ. And the second word uh, is, my translation used, is lazy. Lazy means that they are, they are lukewarm. They are, they are liberal in their theology. Uh, he or she does not take scripture serious. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, all scripture is theonostos. It is breathed out by God. We take the word of God serious because it is the word of God. But this servant loves sin and is lazy. And of course, within the Bible context of this text, he's talking about lazy and lukewarm liberal in their theology. Verse 27, then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. Verse 29, for to everyone who has more shall be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into outer darkness and in that place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that is the end of the first parable. And the point, the, what was the point of the first parable that I want you to go home with? Make sure you're born again. Okay, the point of the second parable here, talking about talents. Talents are not your uh, things you do. Talents are your possessions. Use everything you have in this life to serve Christ. 
That's the point of the second parable. Remember, you can't take it to heaven. You can't take it to heaven. But you will be rewarded how you handle your stuff here on this earth. Let's honor the Lord with everything that we have. Open up your home for a Bible study. Take time out during the week to go visit someone and encourage them. Give to your church. Give to missions. Uh, use your, your abilities and your influence and everything to honor and glorify the Lord with your talents, with everything that you have. All right, let's, can, let's look at the final parable this morning. Verse 31, it says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. So when the Son, it says, notice it says, when the Son of Man comes. Not if, not possibly, but when the Son of Man comes. On that appointed day in the future that no man knows the day, no man knows the hour, he will return. Verse 32, this will be global. This will be all across the planet. The first three words of verse 32 say what? All the nations, all the nations will be gathered before him. That includes you and I. And he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So basically what he's saying here in verses 31 through 33 is there will be a judgment day and all mankind will be separated into two categories, okay? The saved and the unsaved. Verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And here it is, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and, and you came to me. Friends, true biblical Christianity is more than a belief, okay? It's more than just a, a mental it's more than just a mental ascent to truth in our minds. It is, a, um, it is a backing of our belief with the way we live our life, with acts of kindness, uh, compassion, giving, helping other people. The Holy Spirit inside of us through believing the truth and being born again, he works, we, we, we are called to good works. We're not saved by good works. We're saved by, uh, in Christ alone for our salvation, but he saves us so that we can serve him with our talents and with our abilities. And that is an evidence of our faith. Listen to what James said. James chapter two, verse 14 and 17 says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food, and if one of them says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical need, what good is it? In the same way, 
Faith by itself, if not accompanied by actions, is dead. You know that age-old debate people talk about. Are you saved by grace? Are you saved by works? James says you're saved by works. Paul says in Romans you're saved by faith. Oh, do we have a contradiction there? No. The book of Romans is theological, okay? It's theological truth. The book of James is application. So when, so, so when you put those together, when you are truly saved and born again and trusting in Christ, it will work its way out in your everyday life in serving other people. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, okay? There's no works that you can do. There's nothing you can do to be saved. It's a completely free gift. But the evidence of the Spirit of God working in our lives is that we will help those around us come to know Christ and, and exercise and do good deeds and help people out. Verse 37, he says, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry? and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king, the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to, the, to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it unto me. So the final parable is this. The point of the third parable is Jesus is saying this, when you serve people, you are serving Christ. That's what he's saying. You know, it's, it's, I can say, Lord Jesus, I'm serving you. I'm serving you. And God's saying, how are you serving me? How are you serving me? What are you doing with your life? You know, when we serve in children's ministry or, or serve in a homeless shelter or, or serve in your school or, or wherever out in, the community, in the, out in the community or in the church. We serve Christ by serving people, okay? That's what Jesus is saying here in this parable. In addition to uh, the sheep and the goat judgment that will come at the end of the age, that true believers will use their gifts and they will serve other people. We look, at the, we, we, we look at the world around us. How, how do you look at the world around you? How do you look at your loved ones? How do you look at your friends? How do you look at your coworkers? My hope and prayer is that you see them as people that Jesus loves, people that Jesus died for, people that you can help and tell them about Christ, people that you can show, show love to them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the point of this parable. Do we view witnessing and helping people as serving Jesus? Because it is serving Christ when you serve other people. Amen? Let's, let's wrap this up. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink I was a stranger and you did not invite me in naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me then they then they themselves also will answer Lord when did we see you hungry or thirsty 
or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and, and did not care of you, then he will answer them. Truly I say to you, to the extent you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. So basically, our faith and our actions and our life, they all go together. You cannot compartmentalize your life. Well, this is my faith, but this is how I live. And a lot of people do that, but we can't. Remember, Jesus is, is what? Jesus is Lord. He, he is Lord over our lives. We submit to him to live our lives. You know, um, verses 41 through 45, in, in addition to unbelief, one of the many signs of unbelievers is that they are self-centered, completely inward focused. There's, um, there's no concern for the lost. They don't care. Whereas the Christian cares. The believer cares for people's eternal soul. We live with an eternal perspective, knowing that there's a new Jerusalem, the third heaven, the holy city, knowing there's a place called hell, and knowing that Christ died on the cross so that he could forgive us of our sins, and we wouldn't be under God's wrath in hell, but that we would be in his awesome, amazing presence in heaven. That's what we hold to. Verse 46, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life, as I was just saying there. You know, friends, please make your choices wisely. When you step into eternity, it will be final. As Jesus said earlier, um, the door will be closed. It's eternal punishment or eternal life. And eternal life is through, is given to us as a free gift through Christ Jesus. That is our heart. That is our passion. That is why we carve time out in our schedules to witness to people and to share the good news. Because we want them to spend eternity in heaven with our glorious Lord and Savior. That is the beauty of these um, three parables. Uh, these three parables in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, which is called the Olivet Discourse, which is be ready for his return. And uh, you know, I'm trying, to give you, I'm trying to give you things to remember this message by, because I know how it is, sometimes we get busy and we forget about what was, what was taught. But so those three parables, three principles, Matthew 25, they are how to be ready for Christ's return. And number one was make sure you are born again. Make sure that you are born again. And if you are, man, settle it, you know, serve the Lord. Get on about your business and, 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 and use your gifts to honor him and live your life for him. That was the first parable. The second parable of the talents, remember what talents were? They were resources. Make sure you use your talents to serve the Lord. Live with a biblical perspective on your possessions. Give and it will come back to you. What? Press down, shaking together and running over. As you give and you serve and you give of your time, talents, treasures, resources, whatever, as you give, God's just gonna give you more. 
He's gonna bless you. He's gonna take care of you. But he wants us to use what we have to serve him. And thirdly, which is the third principle, is remember this. Remember this next time you have an opportunity to serve in the church or help somebody in your neighborhood or, or somebody at work, somebody ask you to go change a tire or they need a washing machine or dryer or something. Next time you have the opportunity to help someone, remember this parable. Uh, and that's the principle of this third parable, which is we serve Jesus by serving people. And it's not just in the church. It's in the community. It's in our family. You know, when, when I serve my children, I'm serving the Lord. When I serve my wife, I'm serving the Lord. When I give up my gifts, my talents, and my treasures, and my resources, friends, we are serving the Lord. And that's how Jesus lays this out of how to be prepared for his return. This is how we can know that we're ready by just serving Christ and staying the course. Keep it simple. Believe in Jesus, trust in Jesus. Uh, keep your life yielded to the Holy Spirit. When the, when the Spirit speaks to your life, into your life, obey him, follow him, love him, and live for him. And then help your neighbor. Help your neighbor, help your kids, help your family school teachers help the kids at school you know shine the light of christ to them and and, and, and honoring him amen amen hope y'all are encouraged by this study of matthew chapter 25 next we got a uh, three chapters left in the gospel of matthew and starting next week we're going to go verse by verse and here we are at the end of the passion week we're going to look closely at the events leading up to his crucifixion into his death and his burial and his resurrection is going to be an amazing next couple months probably as we work our way through the end of the gospel of Matthew. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Father, thank you for the truth of these parables, Lord. Lord, I pray that Everyone listening, watching online will examine their hearts and make sure in their, take inventory of their own soul and make sure they're trusting in Christ. And then Lord, help us also today from this study of your word, help us to take inventory of our resources and help us to show us, Lord, how we can use our life, our gifts, our talents to honor you in this life and to advance the kingdom of God. And then, Lord, I also pray that your Holy Spirit works in each of our hearts this morning and helps us all understand that when we serve people, we are serving you. So, Lord, help us to serve Irmo, Columbia, Lexington. Help us to serve these people well. In our schools, in our neighborhood, at our work, our coworkers, our boss. Help us, Lord, to do these things, to visit people, to take care of the sick, to give someone a drink. You said back in verse 35, to feed people. 
Lord, help our actions and the deeds of our life follow our faith in you. Please do this work in our hearts today by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.